Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. Donald Trump filed lawsuits against Facebook, Twitter, and Google, claiming that the platforms are censoring conservatives. In other news, the Supreme Court's conservative majority recently issued a decision that will make it more difficult to challenge laws that restrict access to voting. And Michael Avenatti, former attorney for Stormy Daniels, was sentenced to two and a half years in prison for an extortion scheme against Nike. Preet Bharara and I discuss this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. And today we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. And for a limited time, use the code Joyce for 50% off the annual membership price. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. They say sort of in a conclusory way, that's a word lawyers like to use, conclusory. I think I put it in every brief I ever wrote when I was in a defensive posture. You know, they say in their lawsuit, Defendant Facebook's status thus rises beyond that of a private company to that of a state actor, sort of bootstrapping these big companies. And I don't fully understand the argument, but in part, it's an argument that they're really big and they're really important. And that's true. You know, lots and lots of people do think of Twitter, Facebook, Google, and other platforms as the public square. But just calling it the public square and those platforms being important doesn't make them an actual public square. And then they have this other argument that is even more bizarre, and I don't really understand it, but I'll attempt to convey it, the Democratic politicians have kind of conspired with these social media platforms or coerced these social media platforms into censoring conservative opinion on these social media platforms. So the government has basically taken over in that way, oversight of these platforms and caused conservative views to be diminished or minimized or prevented from being broadcast. And that renders these social media platforms state actors. It sounds so bizarre when you say it from a lawyer's perspective. Is that a fair rendering of the argument? That's as close as I can get. But, you know, here's the problem with that. And, and maybe I'm looking at it in too um, fact-based of a way. But Trump gets on these platforms. He's there through the 2016 election. He's there for, you know, almost four years of, of his first term. And when he gets booted, it's not because of his political views. It's because he's using the platforms to incite violence. And and Twitter in particular is very clear about that when he's removed from the platform. It's not his political views. It's the incitement to violence. So this notion that there was some sort of a conspiracy with the Democrats, but they only put it into place at this very, you know, at this end point far down the road sort of defies belief. But contrary to what you said a second ago, just to play devil's advocate, the Trump lawyers and the Trump supporters would would say, with some force, I think ultimately doesn't succeed, with some force that that he was actually booted for political speech, that what he said on January 6th was not a call to arms, was not a call to incite, was not a call to insurrection, but was, you know, an outgoing president making political comments about an election that he perceived in good faith in a particular way, whether or not you, whether or not you and I agree with that. They would say that's the essence of political speech. It's speech you don't like. It's speech that some people 
misinterpreted and misconstrued and maybe took as you know a call to go to the Capitol and do things that were unlawful, that got hundreds of people arrested, but that at base, the president was exercising his constitutional right as others were and have to say things. And he said them in an aggressive way. So not incitement, but political speech. And that controversy will play out in other forums as well. It is really interesting because isn't that the core question that underlies so much of January 6th? Was Trump just legitimately protesting or was he inciting violence? I think a problem that they face in this lawsuit is that the evidence gets worse if you're on Trump's side of this argument. The further down the road we get, the more we learn about what happened. And also watching Trump's ongoing use of, of buzzwords, um, you know, just yesterday issuing a statement saying 1776 is better than 1619, and really intentionally pushing on these hot buttons. I think his lawyers have their work cut out for them here. We should say that because this is a civil case, the burden that they would bear if they ever got to the point of offering evidence. I don't think that they'll get there. I think this case goes away on a motion to dismiss. But if they did have to offer evidence, they would have to prove their case by a preponderance of the evidence, which is this lower burden that's used in civil cases. Now, the other interesting thing is, you know, Trump purports to be the leader of a class. So he's bringing these suits on behalf of other people, presumably conservatives, whose viewpoints have been suppressed allegedly, by these social platforms. So we've talked about the fact that they may be dismissed, uh, you know, as an initial matter because they're filed in the wrong court. Then as a constitutional matter, these platforms are not state actors. So you can't win as a legal matter. But then as a factual matter, I think it's very, very open to debate, separate and apart from certain particular things that people know about and that are famous, chief among them, Trump's being banned from Twitter. This overall idea that conservative opinion and conservative viewpoints are being suppressed by these social media platforms is by no means clear. I mean, if you look at people who write about social media, you will see that the top performing posts, I see this almost every week, the very top performing posts on Facebook, day after day after day, the top 10, are full of people like Ben Shapiro and other conservatives. So there may be some you know, annoyance on the part of Trump about his ouster from Twitter, but with respect to the overall viewpoint being suppressed of conservatives, the evidence I don't think is going to bear that out. In fact, Facebook has been used very, very effectively in multiple elections and for other purposes by conservatives for a while now. In fact, that gets liberals annoyed. Yeah, I think that's right. And he purports to file this as a class action, which means that it's a complaint where he sort of raises these allegations and then there has to be what the court would call a class certification proceeding, where they would determine whether that class really existed, which I think is the argument that you're making. There's not a class. And so why does Trump go through this sort of weird legal maneuver instead of just filing on his own behalf? And this gets to, I think, what most people's theory of this case is, that it's more about fundraising and trying to stay in the public spotlight than it really is an effort to file a, a good lawsuit. Can I ask a lawyering question? Sure. It's sort of an interesting question. That, that you and I grapple with, and I think maybe the public doesn't fully understand, and I think it's something that we should talk about in the coming weeks, of what a lawyer's responsibility is. There are rules that, are, that govern how lawyers are supposed to act, and there are rules that govern whether or not lawyers can appropriately file a suit in the first place. And some people may assume 
Well, you can file a, a lawsuit based on anything at all if your client wants because you're a zealous advocate. We don't have to go into it here, but the, the interesting thing about talking about this new set of Trump lawsuits now is that this week there has been a hearing in district court in Michigan over the so-called Kraken lawyer, Sidney Powell and others, who are being called to task by the city of Detroit for filing frivolous motions trying to overturn the election. And there was a multi-hour hearing in which it's unclear what the final result will be, but I think there's a really good likelihood that the judge is going to sanction, in other words, punish these lawyers for bringing lawsuits that they shouldn't have brought. So that there is some standard, you know, we talk, it's in the, in the federal rules, we refer to rule 11, which is a rule that requires some effort and good faith investigation and good faith drafting of, of allegations in a civil suit. That was a long way of my asking you, uh, Joyce, do you think the lawyers here have any concern? I think this lawsuit is better predicated than a lot of what went on with the crack and lawyering after the election. That was just out in, in a different universe, right? I mean, the lawsuits weren't factually based. The lawyers were making misrepresentations. In this hearing yesterday in Michigan, we saw the judge expressing a lot of frustration. The reality is that federal judges almost never impose sanctions under Rule 11. It's very rare. And when those sanctions are imposed, they may look to the public like a, a little bit of a wrist slap if, if Judge Parker actually does in, impose sanctions. I think any sanctions that she imposes up there would be significant. They will have consequences in terms of folks' bar licenses. They could lead to bar disciplinary action. They certainly lead to reputational loss. So I view that whole process as, as significant. The obligation, you know, that the lawyers have in, in this situation, in these civil lawsuits, maybe I'm a little bit Pollyannish about this, and I'll just confess to that up front, but I always took my obligation to the ethics rules, and every lawyer is has a duty to uphold the ethics laws in the state where their bar license is issued or the jurisdiction. So I always took that pretty seriously. And you have an obligation to zealously represent your client, but you also have, among other things, a duty of candor to the court. And sometimes those two obligations can come into a little bit of a conflict. My view is that your obligation of candor and your duty to be honest and fair in your proceedings as, as a lawyer is the most important obligation that you take on when you become a member of the bar. And so if you have a client who wants to bring frivolous claims, you need to look at them very carefully and make sure that there's a good faith basis for bringing them. And I'm going to take up for Trump's lawyers here just for a minute. I think that they lose. But I think the way that they've made these claims, trying to come up with the argument that Facebook and Google and Twitter are, in fact, state action, that that takes this out of the realm of a Rule 11 sanctionable case. Still a loser, but not frivolous. So I tend to agree with you. And I think what you just said points up a distinction that maybe it's important to talk about. And that is, it is one thing for lawyers, plaintiffs, on behalf of a client or an institution to come up with a creative legal theory that's you know, likely to lose or, at least in the near future, not likely to find purchase among courts of the day. But it is a tradition in American jurisprudence, including on the part of progressive causes, 
that you have laws in place and you have common law precedents in place that probably make a particular kind of lawsuit unlikely to prevail, but a creative legal theory that is innovative or sort of far-fetched, maybe it'll be a loser, but not a basis for sanctions. That's different from some of what we saw in the Kraken cases, which is, among other things, the putting forward of factual allegations that are bizarre, untested, uninvestigated, or knowingly false, right? That's, that's a different thing, and that's the kind of thing that judges will frown upon much more seriously than people making sort of crazy legal theories that you actually see fairly commonly. That's the story of progress in this country. That's how all of the civil rights, you know, cases proceed with new legal theories. Right. But you're not saying that this is progress. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want people to write us letters and saying, I can't believe you're comparing, we're not doing that, just to be clear, that you're comparing Trump's social media lawsuits to the civil rights movement. Are we doing that, Joyce? We are not. I don't think so. And I don't believe I would have personally been willing to bring this lawsuit. But it's it's important to differentiate. I mean, we heard a federal judge in Michigan yesterday saying to lawyers, didn't you think you had some obligation to make sure that there was some truth to these facts, this notion that ballots disappeared and, and reappeared? Didn't you have any obligation to look behind just the mere stories people were telling you? I mean, that's the level of frivolity that was going on in the Kraken cases. It's interesting that Trump brings these lawsuits talking about being deplatformed and having his voice in the marketplace of ideas taken away. And yet he's able to write an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal. It runs on July 8th. And he talks about grave threats to democracy and big tech corporations. He really raises his entire list of grievances in a very important newspaper, widely read in conservative circles, but I read it almost every day, the Wall Street Journal. So this notion that he's somehow been effectively silenced is really untrue. And something we always have to be on guard with, with Trump, is his ability to tell little lies that then morph into bigger lies. So I think this bears watching. It bears watching, certainly. You want to talk about the Supreme Court? Yeah, let's talk about the Supreme Court. It's been we talk about of all a... the courts here, district court, circuit court, and the have Supreme Court. Have we ever court. talked about traffic court? Maybe that's for a future day. We have not. I think Ann and I once <laughs> talked about traffic court. Did you really? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that was offline. I should, I should, I should <laughs> Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. For a limited time, use the code Joyce for 50% off the annual membership. That's cafe.com slash insider. And to the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.